I'm Ilter Ibrahimov. And I'm Nicole Inika Hamilton. You're listening to Mambo from Fall for Dance North. In this third season of Mambo, we invited seven artists presenting work at our 2022 annual festival to sit down for an intimate conversation with a creative peer. Boundary-pushing circus and tap performers, thought-provoking hula and indigenous North American choreographers, Canadian jazz trailblazers, and collaboratively created video works. This season, we cover a broad spectrum of today's global dance community with six up-close snapshots. So take a seat, take a breath, and listen in. This is Mambo. Well, here we are, Vicki Adams-Willis, <laughs> sitting in the studio at DJD on um, the last day of my season before I go on holiday. I think you're going to go on holiday soon, aren't you? It's going to be a scramble until July 26th, at which point I will crawl onto a plane and fall asleep and jeté off the plane <laughs> into Edinburgh for a fabulous month in uh my mother's homeland. Incredible. You, Vicki Adams-Willis, are the founding artistic director of Decidedly Jazz Dance Works, DJD, to its family and friends. About nine years and maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago, you handed over the reins to me, Kimberly Cooper, also known as Kim, uh, the current artistic director <laughs> of DJD. Here we are at the end of our, what is this, 37th? 38th season. Uh, COVID has done a number on my brain with the slipperiness of time. I don't know how you felt about the last two years, but it's been quite a trip. It was a time for reassessing and reevaluating and digging deeper and reminding ourselves why we are here and why we have to carry on, and uh, you led the charge. Thanks, Vicki. It was a lot of things, and it was hard, but I keep reminding myself of how lucky we are to have had this company that you <laughs> founded and fostered and grew for so long, and that we have this building that we exist in and that we were able to give our dancers full contracts. and work even though it was spotty and strange and create dance under many different changing circumstances. But so many artists were laid off and stuck at home hiding and we made it through. We made it through. Well, we made it to this point. Right. <laughs> I, we I made mean, it to I, we're not post-pandemic. We're mid-pandemic, yes. but hopefully the worst part is over. And now you're taking a little break. Now I'm taking a little break and uh, and then coming back full force and going to dance in Toronto at Fall for Dance North, which is so exciting. I remember when we performed in Toronto at uh, Dancers for Life, that incredible fundraiser for AIDS research, mid-90s maybe? Yeah, I think and so. And we did Your Glorious Lindy Hop. 
piece. Oh my goodness. And uh, it was so exciting because it was in a, in a festival type show. There were lots of different companies from all over Canada. It was great to meet lots of people and we got to be the finale. But that's the only time I think that we've performed in Toronto. I'm very excited about that. It's been very inspiring to see how the festival has shifted with the pandemic and what they were able to offer me as artist in residence and also Ilter's commitment to fostering an audience for jazz dance. Not only me with DJD got to be a part of the festival in an interesting way, also Canada's other jazz dance company, Hala Jazz, got to be a part of it too. Last year, I got to spend a lot of time on Zoom conversations with uh, Natasha Powell, the other artist in residence at the festival, and Amy Bowering, who helped us to curate a series of photos and videos of our work that showed at the Union Station in Toronto, which was so thrilling, but I never got to see it live because of the pandemic. So in fact, I have not met Natasha and I will get to actually meet her live when we go there, which is so exciting because we're going to share the evening with them in a double bill. So you are going to be taking family of jazz to Toronto. It's so multi-layered and focused on the individuals in the company so much that I don't know, I think I saw it several nights in a row and I just felt every night I saw a completely different performance. You know, between certain parts of it being slightly improvised or not or so much going on at once and you got to focus on this one point and that another point and then, oh, I never noticed that before and it's just such a, a rich, full, exciting evening with musicians. Uh, It was thrilling to once again have the live musicians in our space, which is, um, you know, they buoy us. They're what we're all about at DJD is is that one-on-one experience with musicians and, and sharing the energy. And it was electric. I mean, the audiences just went mad to hear this amazing band. And it was so wonderful to experience the music and the dance the way we have always experienced it at DJD, this, this sense that we are one and the energy that we are able to create with these two forces coming together. You outdid yourself, actually, with it. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky. I mean, yeah, uh, the live dance and music was something that I really, really missed over the pandemic. We were creating, but that relationship is so sacred to jazz and to our work. The first day that the band showed up for our first rehearsal a week before the show opened, it was a very, very special day. (laughs) You know, thinking about going back to last year at this time when I was trying to think about this season, this the season of 21-22 and what we were, were we going to do and hoping that we would have our first live show after two years and that it would come at the end of the season and what I was interested in making and thinking about all the work that I had seen, that we had all seen of, you know, people dancing in their living rooms and trying to dance outside and just fighting to perform and show the world. And knowing that I wanted to make something that wasn't 
as gloomy and self-reflective as the pandemic had been. And that was really cemented when I went to see my first live music concert last fall. And it was a group called Montuno West, which is um, Ruben Di Toledo, who is a longtime collaborator and bassist, and the musician who I had hired to create the music for this show that I had no idea what it was at that time. You know how we do that. <laughs> um, Ruben, Chris Andrew, who, who turned out to be a pianist on uh, Family of Jazz, uh, Raul Tabera, who turned out to be a percussionist in Family of Jazz, and another musician, Luis Tovar, who didn't turn out to be in Family of Jazz, but this ensemble of musicians did this concert at a small community hall. Maybe there were 30 people there. Everybody was wearing masks. And the band had literally not been in the same city together playing for a year and a half. First of all, they're extraordinary, extraordinary musicians. So of course it was amazing. But there was also something in how they had to interact and communicate with their eyes and their sounds because they hadn't been together for so long that elevated the performance in a different way. And I was so moved. Uh, I was crying at points and laughing at points and just having this whole time. And I'm sure that everybody's had that similar kind of experience in whatever their first mid-pandemic show has been. And I had that experience when I tripped into the theater one day just to watch a bit of a run-through and it was a rough run through, and it was the first time I had heard these musicians in a very long time and seen the dancers together, and I burst into tears. I mean, the energy just surged through me, and it was, it was that sense of relief and exhilaration and hallelujah that was happening. That's great, because that's what I was going for. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that concert inspired me to try to make something like that. So I didn't want it to be something... Heady. I didn't want it to be heavy. I, would, I just wanted it to be an experience, a visceral experience of live music and dance, very celebratory. And actually, I want to take back what I just said. I don't think that it's a light performance. I think that it is heavy, but it's heavy in its celebratory vibe versus heavy in its thoughtful, dark, we're sad because there was a pandemic vibe. Those musicians are just so incredible and... The way that they were able to interact with the dancers, I think, is, um, is the essence of jazz. <laughs> so Family of Jazz, as a title, meant a lot of things. It meant these people are my family of jazz. Uh, this music comes from the family of jazz. It's very rooted in different pathways from the diaspora of Africans, be it having more of a Cuban influence or more of a Brazilian influence. Ruben Di Toledo, the composer and bassist, is Brazilian. And Raul Tabera, the percussionist, is Cuban. And the the whole band has um, done research and study in lots of different avenues of jazz. So the whole sound of the evening has, you know, there's some, there are a couple of tunes that are more straight ahead. And then there are other tunes that are have different kinds of family of jazz influences. 
I kind of feel like the all of the artists on stage, it's like they are a giant band called the family of jazz. And I hope that there is a sense of invitation to the audience to be a part of the family as well. We, for years, we felt a little bit like an island <laughs> here in Calgary because of our approach to the art form. Um, we were very much wanting to honor the African roots of jazz, to really be a very musical company in which the dancers understood the music and could speak in musical terms and could understand the depth of the different forms that we were working with and the history of the form. Our work is very grounded and very rhythmic and deeply connected to the music. As I say, it was for a time we were just here doing what we could do to explore all of that and, and deepen our experience. But I think that Kim is in an era now where she's finding all sorts of new family members. I'm trying. I hope so. I had this incredible experience a couple of years ago when I went to a National Dance Educators Association conference with a jazz focus in Newport, Rhode Island. And it was there that I connected with some women who have become very much my jazz sisters. One of them, Lindsay Guarino, she just recently published a book with Carlos Jones and Wendy Oliver called Rooted Jazz Dance, Africanist Aesthetics and Equity in the 21st Century. Lindsay and Wendy had written a jazz book called Roots and Branches, I think in 2012, which was the beginning of Lindsay's journey into more rooted jazz forms. And in doing that, I feel like at that time, it wasn't different, but Lindsay, for example, was just starting to dive into a very deep pool of what jazz dance could be. And her outlook was very sort of European-based. Jazz dance and jazz music, of course, have a sordid history. You know, it's complicated, it mirrors well, it doesn't mirror, it is American history, which is very much rooted in racism and the complicatedness of building America with the slave trade and the people that came to America with that and how they blended and how they blended with European cultures and forms and sounds and rhythms and movements. And without getting into a major history lesson, jazz dance in the mainstream way that it evolved got quite whitewashed and became quite commercial and lost its connection to its African parents. So I think that what a lot of people still think of jazz dance today is that kind of lens. And perhaps now because there's a critical mass of people who are doing this work and standing up and talking about it, perhaps because of this current George Floyd-invoked civil rights movement that we're in. I feel that people are being more, they're being asked to be more responsible about their dance practices in general, especially if they're related to Black American forms. So jazz, hip hop, anything that came from the African parents. 
So the first book was kind of, for a lack of a better word, more white. And the second book, the editors wanted to focus on the marginalized voice, voices in the form, which are black people and women. So I feel like in that book, it's a great book. Everyone should get it. It has writings by people who I feel are now maybe more leaders or their voices are more celebrated now. I think about people like Melanie George and Latasha Barnes and Monique Haley and Brandy Coleman. And unfortunately, there's no writing by Natasha Powell, but there are some photographs of her company in that book. So that's great because she's represented in there too. It's, it's so interesting to be a jazz artist in this time. In this time when I've been thinking so much about the politics of the form and the history of the form, and I am so grateful that that was always a part of the practice of the company. I also think that we've been so lucky in some ways that we've been here in this, like, Calgary, a strange place to find a jazz dance organization of our scope and size. But here in the prairies, we're able to create this thing that was able to thrive because we were kind of on our island. We could do what we wanted to do and explore what we wanted to explore. You know, I think about the, the stories that you tell and that uh, the founders, the other founders, Hannah Stowell and Michelle Moss, when you talk about the early days of the company and how naive you were, when Michelle and Hannah talk about when they started to try to study West African dance in the 80s and they went to Africa and literally walked down streets and listened for drums and then looked through holes in fences and said, oh, hi, can you teach us how to dance when they saw a party? I don't know if that could happen today. That's such a wild collection of stories that they happened so long ago and the world was such a different place. But maybe there is something about us being here that allowed us to be naive and that allowed us to take chances. Maybe the world is starting to become more interested in jazz dance. And there's this wild serendipitous thing that's happening this fall in Toronto where your company is performing and you are being honored and inducted into the Canadian Dance Hall of Fame. It makes me cry. How do you feel about that, Vicky? Well, I'm thinking about what you've said about isolation, and I was nodding as you were saying that because the upside of being isolated in the prairies is that there isn't a lot of noise out there trying to force you onto a different path. Yes, throughout my life, I've gone away to study. I spent many, many summers in New York um, as a teen and and young adult and so on, but I would always come back to Calgary and out of that was able to establish the the dance program uh, within the dance, or the jazz program within the d- dance department at U of C, which was a complete miracle. And out of that grew DJD. There was no questioning ever what we were trying to do. And how am I feeling about this honor? It's amazing, my mother, Alice, Murdoch Adams um, was inducted into the Hall of Fame last year as one of the trailblazers. 
So this is making me smile. <laughs> following in her footsteps, ever following in her footsteps, um, she was an extraordinary woman who would be 114 if she were still alive, emigrated from Scotland when she was very, very young, prior to the First World War. And uh, she was this uh, wonderful, if it needs doing, just do it kind of gal. And she accompanied a little friend of hers to a Highland dance class in Jean Gould's kitchen when she was quite young. And she really felt she needed to take these dance classes. She was had to study dance, but the family was very poor. So apparently she sold the family kilts to pay for the classes. And then when that money ran out, she, she quit school in grade eight, which was very common back in the day, and uh, got a job washing dishes in a downtown cafe to pay for the classes. And eventually, Jean Gauld, was moving out of Calgary, and she basically said to my mother, you, you should just take over the classes. You know as much as I know about the Highland dance at this point. And my mother at that point thought, what Calgary needs is a proper dance school. And in 1927, at the age of 19, she hopped on a train by herself and traveled to New York to study dance. And she traveled all over the world studying various dance forms and bringing them back to Calgary. Whenever I walk into this dance palace that we, we call the DJD Dance Center, um, there are moments where one goes, how did this happen? And I think you and I have discussed in the past how we are so similar in that we are very much in the moment people. And I very rarely think about the past or the future, but the last little while with several lovely honors I've received, I have been forced to reflect. And I, I'm thinking that what has happened here is quite a miracle in so many ways, you know, just so many ways. Everybody who has been artistic director of a dance company knows how ridiculously impossible it feels like it is at times to keep everything going and alive. And so when I sit here with you thinking that how perfect it is that you are in this role at this point, it's been time for much reflection and immense gratitude, immense gratitude, because I think, you know, we, we need to dance, we need to make music. It keeps growing and, and, and flourishing and um, surviving and surviving, yeah. I think that it's something that you kind of have to take on if you're going to work in this form, that you have, there's a weight and there's a responsibility and you have to keep the energy flowing to the young people and keep nourishing the next generation of artists. And uh, thank you for nourishing me. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was a pleasure. That was a pleasure. Maybe not always, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's well, Kim, been... Um, let me ask you about your history with the company because it's kind of interesting, I would say. Well, as you may or may not remember, <laughs> um, I saw the first DJD show ever and... Uh, fell in love with this company as only a 13-year-old can, went home and put on Billie Holiday records and Dave Brubeck records and tried to mimic the moves that I had seen on that stage. You know, I remember um, coming to take your classes when you started 
doing classes for the community when I was 16 or 17. And you said, oh, have you considered auditioning? And I was ready to quit school. And you said, no, 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 you got to wait until you graduate. (laughs) I joined the company when I was 18. Sadly, when I was 18, I did have mono and um, probably needed a good kick in the pants. And you did fire me. But I got hired again the next year and uh, it all worked out. So here we are. Here we are. (laughs) A couple decades later. The 8th Annual Fall for Dance North Festival runs September 17th to October 8th, 2022, with both free and ticketed in-person and digital events. Family of Jazz is presented at this year's festival on an exciting double bill alongside the world premiere of Margarita by Natasha Powell's Toronto-based company Holla Jazz. Both pieces feature incredible live musicians, and following the performance, audience members will be invited to step on the stage and enjoy some social dancing, accompanied by Decidedly Jazz Danceworks live band led by Rubim de Toledo. Visit ffdnorth.com for more info and tickets. This episode of Mambo was produced by Johnny Spence and Katie Lauer, with help from Milana Glumicic. This episode featured music by Rubim de Toledo from the original score for Family of Jazz. Our theme music is by Johnny Spence. Thanks for listening. 